So today, we are taking a break from the Luke series because it's a very special day, as John said, in the church calendar. Today is called Pentecost, or Sunday for those of you wandering British folks. Wait, was that my British accent or my pirate accent? Did he, did he just call all of the British continent a bunch of pirates? I didn't even know that Britain was a continent. Stay on track, Andrew. You promised John. You promised him. Pentecost is traditionally a Sunday that is seven weeks or 49 days after Easter. Some people say 50 days. Some people say 51. Yes, there have been arguments about such things. And the way of the flesh is division. Before we begin, I want to recap the historical facts. Jesus, the Son of God, sent by the love of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, became flesh, was killed on a cross, and then was raised to life after three days. After the resurrection, he spent 40 days being seen and heard and touched by his disciples and hundreds of people until finally he was taken up in his human body, his new human body, to heaven, but not before warning his disciples, saying, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. John asked me to preach around two months ago, but I asked him to wait until exactly four weeks prior to let me know the verses, like what, what Sunday is it, you know? I wanted to wait. I wanted to have the perfect amount of time to craft the perfect sermon, my very first sermon. Of course, I want it to be good. Nothing wrong with wanting it to be good. You see, four weeks is the perfect amount of time because if I had any longer, I'd be overthinking it. I'd be up awake in bed, mulling over my choice of stories and verses. But less than a month would be too stressful. I'd be cramped for time. I need the time. Come on. I wanted a week to read and pray, a week to write, a week to rehearse, and a week to account for all my mistakes. So now you can see how it was the perfect plan. So I wrote that sermon. I had a sermon that I'd planned, prayed over, written, and rehearsed. I shared it with John on Tuesday, this past Tuesday. Um, I received his feedback. He liked it, I think. It was funny at times, very funny, I like to think. Very eloquent. Um, It was emotional and cerebral and simple all at once. A perfect merger of the head and the heart. Perfect. It was hard at times to do something so great. I mean, I really had to push and buckle down and sacrifice. Oh, it was a bit of a grind, but I did it. I put the stone to the grinder and a bunch of sparks started flying. And I tried to catch those sparks and write them down to share them. 
That's how this works, doesn't it? The sermon was about the Holy Spirit and how he is calling us out of hiding, wants to receive our hearts and transform them into hearts of flesh. I had this really cool thread that traveled all the way back through the Bible to the Garden of Eden and then shot forwards through all of time and pierced our hearts in the process. I figured by the end we would all be weeping and wanting more of God. Maybe you all would lift me up on your shoulders and carry me out into the field chanting, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. It sounds great, doesn't it? Well, that was about the exact moment when God showed up and said, are you done yet? Are you done yet? I thought about calling this sermon, are you done yet? Wait and be filled. My first point, are you done yet? And therefore, and in, in Isaiah it says, And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. So God asks me, are you done yet? And I was like, what? I mean, I was like, pardon me? Yes, I'm almost done, God. Thank you very much. I'll let you read it before Sunday. Maybe you can give me a few pointers. Then after a brief unsettling pause, God was like, well, let me know when you're done and we can start on my sermon. To put it mildly, I was shaken up. No, no, God, it's Tuesday night. Sorry, you must have lost track of time up there, wherever you are. I already tried to wait. And then I started the PowerPoint. Have you heard about PowerPoint? It's impossible now. I'm sorry, I can't. And to frame this properly, God wasn't like, throw that away or you will be banished from my presence. He was more like, how did it feel for you? While you were writing that sermon, was it a good experience? Were you operating out of fullness? When we are convicted of sin, I think most of us realize we've been hearing the Spirit of God speak for some time. Jesus said to his disciples once, Freely you have received Now freely give. What are you full of? What have you received? My first experience, or my experience of writing my first sermon was full of worry. I woke up early and stayed up late. I ate the bread of anxious toil. I was angry at times, at God, at Jenna. When I didn't get the words or the time, I was angry with my child. I knew that I was writing about the Holy Spirit and the irony of that fact, and I tried to wait and pray and listen, but I just felt like I was hearing nothing, nada. And that just made me more angry. I was tempted by anger and anxiety with a sprinkle of depression. So I just went on and started it, because you know God can't steer a ship that isn't moving, right? Have you heard that one? Uh, well, he also can't fill the sails of a ship 
that has its sails bound up tight with ropes of the flesh, while the captain is rowing exhaustedly against the wind. It says in Galatians, Charlie Brown, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think when we read about the way of the flesh, it's easy at times to read sexual sins, sorcery, drunkenness. But I want to focus for a second on idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, Bits of anger, dissensions, divisions. Can I write a sermon while walking in the flesh? Can I prophesy and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have faith so as to move mountains, but still walk in the flesh? Can I be telling you about Jesus, about the good news right now while not allowing the good news to transform me? The answer is yes. It's a sad yes. The good news is we don't have to try and live the Christian life full of emptiness. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, not the self-righteous, not those who can do it on their own. He didn't come for the well. So if you can manage, if you can keep going in the same dry and dusty way, then keep going. Keep going until you are done. Until you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you are done, if you are empty, I can fill you. He first called us, and now he first wants to do the work in us the beautiful, transforming work. The Holy Spirit is hovering, waiting with all patience, with all self-control, with all gentleness until we are ready to drink. Do you think it's more likely that we overestimate God and his ability to transform us into joyful, loving warriors who are taking back lives out of the very jaws of death or underestimate him? Do you think we'll get to heaven and he'll, God will say, did you think I was going to fill you up that much? With all the fullness of God? In 1 Corinthians, it says, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also one comprehends the thoughts of God. Sorry, no one, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The Spirit of God is waiting to fill us. My second point is wait. We can, we can only be filled when we are empty and waiting. Now, when you operate out of emptiness, you feel the flesh. I wrote my sermon out of a place of emptiness and ended up somewhat bitter. I felt afraid to be in ministry. Why would I want to do something that leaves me feeling like this? I wanted to quit because I've, I've prayed for people and seen them experience the goodness of Jesus, and yet I walked away feeling missed. What about me? What about you? What about the cry of your heart? Does that matter to Jesus? Now, I want us to reframe our emptiness. It is not wrong to be empty. If you are empty today, I have good news for you. The spirit of the living God is hovering like a gentle breeze, like a mighty rushing wind. He isn't finished with us, with the broken, with the weary. He's heard our cries. Let's return to what Jesus said before he left. It's the verse I started my old sermon with, and it's the verse I probably should have stayed with. Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Behold, he says, open your eyes. What this has all been about, I am sending the promise. Finally, the entire story of Abraham and this strange people Israel was about a promise. So what is the thing you are waiting for that you dream about? The hope you have for your life. The thing you so desperately want. When I was a boy, I wanted to be a pilot. That's me. Just kidding. And so I did that. It was my dream. And it led me into burnout and depression and beyond. That's also me. From the ashes of that career, I decided, I know, I'll be a novelist. That's what my heart desires. That's my calling. It's my anointing. It's like David in the kingdom. He had to wait after being anointed, but he was being prepared all along. So I can just keep writing over here while I'm waiting until I heard God say, are you done yet? Did he say that to David ever? Are you done waiting for what God, you think God is going to do? Are you ready to lay it down at his feet so that he can finally do something better? Something that won't destroy you. 
the Lord said, I will be your portion. I will be your cup. I will pour out my spirit on all people and they will not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, but they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I will write my laws on their hearts, not on stone tablets, but on their hearts. And I will remember their sins no more. The better thing is that we can have God himself. We can have the fullness of joy. But the person who receives can only receive in the waiting place. This is why Jesus says to his disciples, but stay in the city of Jerusalem. Everything comes to a screeching halt. Wait? You want us to wait? Why? Why must, why must we wait? I don't want to wait. Hadn't Jesus already died? Hadn't he been raised? Wasn't he going to sit at the right hand of the Father? Does it take a few days to get to heaven? Second star to the right and straight on till morning? Does God have high-speed internet in heaven? Why wouldn't the disciples just go get on with it, evangelize, preach the good news, instantaneous poof, magic? Jesus says to his 11 beloved men, wait. He says it to us today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be filled And one thing I noticed here is that Peter is finally silent. This is weird. They ask ask collectively if Jesus is going to restore the kingdom now. And when he tells them to wait, they are silent. Now, waiting doesn't mean moping around, kicking pebbles, muttering under your breath. It doesn't mean the disciples watch Netflix until the second coming. But... Ideally, they become prayerfully silent, thankfully silent, hopefully silent, but silent for a time. If you have to let out your anger, then let it out. If you have to pour out your soul and it's undignified, be undignified, do that. But eventually, the disciples listen. They lay down the calling of their ministry And they wait. They ponder the mighty works of God. They remember the story. Even the loudmouth Peter, the rock of the church, waits. They also anoint the 12th disciple during that time. They're taking stock of their house. They're doing their chores. They're, They're housekeeping. It seems like perhaps they've come to a place where arguing with Jesus doesn't make sense anymore. They'd all betrayed him and been scattered. They'd given up and gone back to their old lives. They know now what they're capable of. They too sent him to his death. After all the posturing and arguing and pleading, they decide to, oh, I can't say it. It's killing me. I'm melting. They decide to obey. How can they obey? From that place of despair, they have been restored. 
from that death, they have been brought to life again. They've been given another life. Because they received this freedom, this additional life, they understand the life they live is no longer their own. They obey. They wait. They return to the upper room, but it's empty now. Jesus is gone. It's the empty place, the waiting place. They return, and I wonder if they are tempted What if Peter is tempted to write his first sermon? What if he thinks he needs one day of praying, one day of planning, one day of writing, and one day of rehearsal? What happens there in the silent desert of the upper room? Now, this is the model we are presented with. I wish I could say it was different, maybe tweak it a little bit. I wish I could say that Abraham was called by God to leave his country, not knowing where he was going, and he wandered directly into paradise. Instead, Abraham received the promise, went into the wilderness, and waited. I wish I could say Moses grew up in Egyptian society, and then immediately when he came of age, he heroically and powerfully led the slaves into freedom. No. Instead, while trying to do it under his own strength, he killed a man and went into exile for 40 years. He waited, and in that place, from a burning bush, God spoke. God filled him. I wish I could say the Israelites, when they miraculously left Egypt, crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, were met on the other side by Honey, milk, the fruit of the promised land. No, they were met with a desert. And the list goes on. David was anointed as a boy and spent 13 years off and on living in caves, running for his life before he became king. This is the story. After Jesus was baptized on the Jordan River, just as he seems ready to begin his ministry, just after a voice from heaven called down and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. The spirit of God descends on him like a dove and does what? The spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness. So what happens while we are waiting? I can tell you firsthand, we are tempted. When we are thirsty, longing to be filled, it's painful and tempting to go get a quick fix. When we are desperate for direction, it's tempting to just pick a direction and go. When we have heard the direction to go and it's leading you through the desert, it's tempting to want to go back. Because wasn't it better in Egypt? Have you heard the convincing lie Maybe God would want me to do that. This is what the tempter sounds like. Did God really say that you should go into the desert? There's nothing out there. Did he really say you couldn't eat of the fruit? I wanted to write a sermon. I wanted to wait on God and hear from him. So I waited just long enough for my anxiety 
to start to shout in my ear, you are getting off track. This isn't the schedule. You're behind. You'll never catch up. You have to do this now. So push and do it. So I used to be a pilot, and I had this crazy job where I was flying around a really rich guy and his family and friends. It was a whirlwind. We never waited. We basically never touched down for four years. Touch and go. Touch and go. When I wrestled one week off a year, I was on the phone every day to keep track of aircraft maintenance and planning the next adventure for when I returned. I wore my tiredness like a badge of honor. Look at how tired I am. I must be important. But eventually, thankfully, from the chaos, the stress, the unknown, the constant pressure and lack of rest, the hypervigilance, I began to break down. Some people call it adrenaline fatigue. Others call it burnout. My hands started to shake one day after landing. I couldn't figure it out. Then it happened again. I'd be taxiing the aircraft in and my hands would be shaking. Then it got worse. They were really shaking. I could barely control them. I could barely change the radio frequency because it was hard to grab the little knobs and turn them. It probably looked like I was afraid. I didn't understand what was going on. I was coming to the end of myself. Thank you, Jesus. Did I wait then? No. Eventually, my hair, beautiful, started to fall out in clumps. My sweat smelled something close to gerbils. And by gerbils, I mean urine. I had like this untidy little hamster cage going on under my arms. I ended up with this sense of doom resting over me. The muscles in my neck and back began to seize. I woke up each morning feeling like I'd been run over by a truck. Okay, I have to quit. I told my boss, and it's a long story, but eventually I quit. Breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, Jesus was calling me to the waiting place. So I packed up all my things into a storage locker. I bought a flight home, and I was ready to just rest and recover and wait. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I needed to rest. And guess what happened? Well, just as I was about to leave, a friend of mine sent me a job ad for a charter flight leaving from New York to Beirut, Lebanon. A tempting job. He said because I had the specific rating for that jet, they might take me. I should try it. Tempting. Of course, you and I both know that I, sh- I would never, should never in my right mind think that. But what? But what if it was God? What if it's God that is tempting me? I said that I didn't want to miss out on what God was doing. And he knows what I'm capable of. So maybe he thinks I'm capable of this. 
Maybe he has a plan for me over in the Middle East. What an adventure that would be. What a story. What a cool life. And you can be certain I did apply for the job. And God did have a plan. He was asking me all along, are you done yet? Are you done seeking your own glory, your own story? Are you done and tired enough? He was calling me not into the desert of the world, but the desert of my heart. I'm not saying God wasn't with me in the Middle East. He was, but I experienced a great deal of suffering there. I broke down. I would operate as an international charter pilot by day, but just lay on the floor in my hotel rooms and cry at night. I felt beyond broken, beyond help, beyond anything. I came unglued. But I really wasn't ready to rest, to wait, to allow the Spirit of God to speak and search my deep heart and begin to transform it. Do you know what? I don't really like this message. I, it's hard. I would never have chosen this message. It isn't going to win me any friends. Jesus said the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And few will find it. Few will be able to admit they can't go on anymore on their own. Few will be able to face the pain they're running from. We're proud. We like to do Jesus' work without him. We want to say, I can do Jesus' work while I keep doing these other things. I'll kind of do Jesus' work on the side. I'll make my own mission imbued with Jesus' mission. Few will be able to say, I'm too weary, Jesus. I'm heavy laden. I'm dying like this in my old way of doing things. Do you know what? None of us can do this. We must give up. We must die. We must be born again. Come to me, he says, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And blessed are you who are poor in spirit, who are lacking, who are empty, for you will be filled, for they shall be filled. My third point is be filled and operate out of fullness. The disciples waited in the upper room. They were tempted, but the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Spirit of God is the only protection against the enemy so that you can wait. The Spirit of God is patience. The disciples prayed and waited and were joyful. I'm sure they suffered, but the Spirit of God is transforming the suffering you offer him into more hope and joy. So we, just so we don't get confused, the Spirit of God helps us to know God, to call him our Savior. He's the, he's the one who first says, follow me. It is his grace that is calling you today out of your chains. It is grace that will empower us to wait 
and allow God to transform us, to transform those dark, unspoken places in our hearts. The promised land is through the desert. He wants the pain of our story to glorify him. This is for our freedom. This salvation is for our joy. And finally, we need the spirit to cover us like a new garment to give us strength and boldness to proclaim the good news. And after each passing day, this will no longer be good news you have heard, but good news you have experienced. You will be the person who is lame, but can now walk. You will be the blind one who can now see, the captive who is free. The power of Christ radiating through our testimony. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I have been raised with Christ. Freely you have received, now freely give. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So awake, O sleepers. The Holy Spirit is calling to us today. Make the best use of your time. I am not asking you to do more. I'm asking you to stop and lay down the things you are certain you need, that you deserve, that you must have. They are robbing your joy. Lay down the distractions, the noise, the addictions. For sin no longer has dominion over you. You are free. Lay everything you have at the feet of Jesus And be filled. This is the place you have been avoiding. It's the voice you have already heard. It's the place where your pain is going to hurt. And the tempter is going to whisper. But it's where Jesus is going to fill you up and empower you to enjoy living this life. Taking back this broken land from the enemy. And helping to save those who are lost. Let's pray. Thank you for your grace, Father. I pray that any heaviness, any feeling of how impossible this journey can feel at times would turn our face to look on you. Now take this burden from us. Empty us so we can be filled. Now carry us. Now send us. We are your children, God. Put your robe on us. Strike water from the rock and wash us. Speak again the gentle word. 
Show us the pain you want to redeem and restore to us the joy of your salvation. Thank you, Abba Father, for this day.